Voters in 12 states across the U.S. have cast their ballots in local and state elections with closely watched races in Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia, and Ohio. CBS News projects that voters in Ohio have chosen to enshrine the right to abortion in the state by just over 57 percent to 42 percent. The issue amends the state's constitution to protect the, quote, right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including on abortion. Now, voters in Ohio also voted to legalize recreational marijuana. And in Kentucky's governor race, Democrat incumbent Andy Beshear is also projected to win re-election, defeating his Republican challenger, Daniel Cameron. Voters in Mississippi will also determine their next state governor. So let's take a closer look at the Ohio results. It was a decisive victory for the campaign to protect reproductive rights in Ohio, and it comes more than a year after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the nationwide right to have an abortion. Ohio is now the seventh U.S. state to protect abortion rights in its state constitution following the Dobbs ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Ohio will now avoid the implementation of a law that would have outlined abortions after about six weeks with no exceptions for rape or incest. Now, President Biden celebrated the abortion rights win, saying, tonight, Americans once again voted to protect their fundamental freedoms and democracy won. My administration will continue to protect access to reproductive health care and call on Congress to restore the protections of Roe v. Wade in federal law once and for all. And for more on the Ohio result, let's go now to Karen Kessler, who is the bureau chief at the Ohio State House News Bureau. She's joining us with the very latest on this story. Very good to have you on the show again. So voters enshrining the right to an abortion in the Constitution, and this was a pretty clear result. What did you make of it? I think what's interesting here is that this is the second election, basically, where voters have been asked about something that relates to abortion. In August, there was an amendment that was put forward that would have made it harder to pass future amendments like this one. And it was clearly targeted at this amendment coming up in November. That amendment failed, but abortion was a key part of that. And so that kind of set the stage for this amendment. And to have both of these, abortion rights and legalization of recreational marijuana, on the same ballot was quite interesting as well. We had no statewide candidates. These were the two statewide issues. And so it was interesting to see what voters did with them and, and they passed them both pretty soundly. So if we look at the abortions right aspect of this, what exactly does this measure do? Well, this measure would basically codify Roe in a sense, because it says that abortions cannot be outlawed before viability and that after viability, abortions can be outlawed, but it has to be with the, uh, there have to be exceptions for women's health and women's lives, and they're determined on a case-by-case -case basis. But it also protects reproductive rights, such as the right to contraceptives, the right to fertility treatment, and the right to miscarriage care and to continue one's own pregnancy, which was a focus that certainly the ones who wanted to see this amendment pass had brought up, but the anti-issue one side did not want to bring up their focus was entirely on abortion and on entirely on parental rights, which a legal analysis of this said would not be affected by this amendment. Parental rights are not affected by this, according to a legal analysis from the attorney general of the state. So this is definitely much bigger than Ohio. A lot of people across the country were watching this vote. National groups poured money into this referendum as well. What do you think this tells us? I think it's probably too early to project what it tells us about an election a year from now. But one thing it does tell us is that Republicans are still very committed to this issue of abortion. 
The Senate President and the House Speaker, the legislative leaders, have both said tonight, just after these votes were delivered, that they want to put another abortion-related amendment before voters. So clearly, Republicans feel that this is an issue that they want to continue to campaign on. Democrats, of course, on the other side, feel that it's an issue they want to campaign on because they've certainly been able to bring a win here. Do you think there's something that uh, Democrats on the national level can take away from what we saw uh, in Ohio? Well, Ohio has been a very, very red state. That's part of the reason why this is really significant. Ohio has been run, dominated by Republicans, basically, since uh, for almost a decade now. And so as Democrats look forward in Ohio to uh, an election next year, U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat, is on the ballot next year. And obviously, the presidential campaigns are coming up. They're going to be looking at Ohio as potentially a state that could maybe move back into a swing state category. Ohio used to be a swing state, but it hasn't been for almost 10 years. Yeah, that's right. And so do you think that we're going to see abortion rights really take center stage moving to 2024 as a key issue that Democrats in particular try to highlight? I think certainly when you look at these seven states now that have affirmed abortion rights and including in those states several Republican red states like Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, Montana, it certainly sends the message that abortion rights are something that Democrats have been able to win on even in states where they're not winning in candidate races. So I think it really brings up the idea of abortion rights as a very strong issue for both bases, both party bases. Hmm. One thing in Ohio, though, that was interesting is that the independent voters led the turnout here in Ohio. These are voters that are not tied to either Republicans or Democrats, and they're the ones that pretty much decided the selection. All right, Karen, really interesting insights there from Ohio. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks. Now, here in Washington, the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in the latest Second Amendment gun rights case. Justices will decide whether the right to bear arms is in contest with a federal law that prohibits alleged domestic abusers from owning firearms. The case, known as U.S. versus Rahimi, comes nearly 17 months after the Supreme Court decided in a separate case that the government can only limit gun rights by pointing to historically comparable precedents. That historical precedence test has caused confusion in lower courts, where some have invalidated widely accepted gun restrictions. U.S. versus Rahimi gives the nation's top court its first opportunity to clarify how lower courts should apply that reasoning and could have wide-reaching implications beyond domestic abuse cases. Outside the court, about 250 people rallied for gun safety and domestic violence prevention. The court's case comes as the U.S. continues to grapple with a rise in mass shootings, including the most recent in Lewiston, Maine. Earlier, I discussed the implications of this case with Amy Howe, a reporter at SCOTUS Blog. We talked a little bit about what this case is all about, but can you explain the lead up to this, this historical precedence test? Yes, yeah, so this was a change when the justices enshrined it in the decision in a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin back in 2022. And the justices said in that case that courts should only uphold gun restrictions if you can point to a history or tradition of similar gun regulations in early U.S. history. And of course, in early U.S. history, there were very few gun restrictions. And so the question that the lower courts have struggled with is how do you know whether a current gun restriction is sufficiently similar 
uh, to something that might have existed in early U.S. history to pass constitutional muster. And that's what led to the case that was before the Supreme Court today, the U U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which sits in Louisiana, said that the federal government in defending this law, which prohibits someone who is the subject of a domestic violence restraining order from having a gun, couldn't point to an analogous mm -hmm. restriction in early U.S. history, and therefore the, the law could not stand. And the Biden administration said, well, of course, you know, you can't look at something at that specific a level, because what, in early U.S. history, domestic violence wasn't regarded as a problem, certainly. Right. You have to look at a, at a higher level of generality. You have to look at whether or not there were laws that disarmed people who were considered dangerous. At and there were well. at the time. Yeah. That, that does make it extremely complex, what you just explained. And looking at the oral arguments, does it appear that the justices are leaning one way or the other? It did seem, coming out of the oral arguments, that there was a majority that's ready to uphold the law. I think that there was a majority was wary of the implications of upholding the Fifth Circuit's ruling, because it would mean not only striking down this law, which obviously is very important for protecting victims of domestic violence, hmm. but what it would mean for other gun restrictions. And so it's not entirely clear sort of what else they're going to say that's going to help lower courts apply this test. Yeah.